Well, firstly, welcome back. <laughs> it's been a few weeks since you've heard from us, so thanks for tuning in. I'm sat in our brand new studio right now, and if you're nosy, go to our social channels now at Social Chain, and you'll be able to see the new setup in the teaser video for this episode. But now on to this episode, I've got a really interesting guest with me today for a conversation all about the word of the year, edutainment. I'm seeing that term in presentations and decks everywhere I look, but one place I'm actually seeing it in action on social is on OceanX social channels, and especially on their TikTok. If you haven't heard of OceanX before, think of them like NASA for the sea. They're actually a household name and a really crucial organization in ocean exploration and conservation. And for the last few years, they've been on a mission to educate people about what's in the sea and inspire them to care about marine life and its welfare. I'm joined by Shannon Forry, who's the director of social and digital media at OceanX. And before that, she was actually at NASA as part of its communications team, growing the social and digital presence for NASA Earth Science. Now, in this episode, we're talking about how to make people care enough to act, how to translate science and technical topics into really relatable content, and how you adapt to situations like the Wi-Fi connection in the middle of the ocean or your live stream host getting seasick at the last minute. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on Social Minds. I'm really excited to get into this one. And the first thing that I want to ask you is, how do you take a specialist topic and make it accessible to everyone? Absolutely. So, you know, I think a lot of the times, particularly in science, we talk about dumbing things down. And I think that really leads us to underestimate our audiences, right? So we really just want to make content particularly specialist content, really inviting and relatable. And I really think it's an opportunity to have a discussion with people and to interject knowledge into their life. And, and really one of the big things that I like to focus on in particular is curiosity. I think it's a very powerful thing. Um, and so a lot of what we do really leads to curiosity and, and making people curious about the ocean. And I think that's a really great way to connect with people and then really bring in language and um, ways that we can familiarize that content and make it relatable and translatable to their everyday lives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess speaking of curiosity, I'm curious, especially from a language perspective, that when you're translating that science into social content, what do you find is the right balance between making sure anyone can understand it, but also, you know, not doing yourselves a disservice and making sure you're demonstrating your expertise? Because especially with like scientific terminology, there are real, you know, terms that have to be used, but also that sort of counts as industry jargon, which is sometimes a no-go on social. So how do you strike that balance? Absolutely. And, and that's something we consider ourselves translators as science communicators, whether it's through writing or through social media, we really consider ourselves translators. And it's not just throwing facts or, you know, jargon out to people. But what we really try to do is, I mean, the most important thing that we do is make sure that it's factually correct, right? That's the most important thing that we do in science communications is whatever we communicate has to be scientifically correct. So finding that balance between what is scientifically correct and then also where that language can be adjusted to be more relatable um, is really where we're fine tuning our craft in science communications. And so it's really just finding that balance. And 
we check often with our scientists to make sure what we're writing and how we're translating things. Can and we can ensure that it is correct from what our study is or how we're, you know, the paper that we're working on or the science that we're researching. Uh, so we do a lot of fact checking. We double, triple, quadruple check everything and we'll adjust our language. We learn a lot from our audience, which I think is really interesting, whether it's putting a word out that maybe they don't understand and better defining that for them or maybe a word that they use that can still be translated into something that is scientifically accurate. We, so it's a learning process both ways for us. I mean, one thing we want to talk about today, and I'm sure we'll talk about more, um, is your TikTok account. It was sort of the first place I checked when we heard from you guys. And you guys have a, a massive following there. And I've got written down here that in one year across all your platforms, your followers grew from over 2 million to more than 6 million, yet from 21 to 2021 to 2022. And more than 3 million of those new users were on TikTok. So big year. What were you doing differently that year, do you think? What, what caused that surge in growth? Well, it was definitely during quarantine for us. And so and one thing I want to emphasize is um, whether it's me or the team, you know, this is a huge team effort for us. And um, our team is really great at talking to our audience. But I think what quarantine, in a sense, offered for our accounts was sort of this window into a world that we weren't really experiencing at the time. Um, you know, everybody was in their house and, you know, really trying to stay safe. And so it offered our accounts offer this window into this world, not only that people don't see every day, but also couldn't see. And so we saw a really big jump um, in engagement and numbers. And uh, not only did the numbers jump, but they stayed around. So it really shows, I think, the, the power of the content that the team is creating um, and keeping people around, right? Because anyone can grow their numbers really quickly, but it's keeping that audience around. I think that is really crucial. And so it, it just offered us an opportunity for, I think, eyes that were very curious and wanting to explore. No, I'm glad you brought up that sort of, you know, measuring success and you know that it's important that you didn't just gain new followers, but that they actually um stayed and you were able to retain them because the industry at large still talks a lot about followers and that is a really impressive jump. But I've noticed a shift recently where we're sort of trying to dissuade brands or marketers or anyone really placing too much stock in that. Because as you said, especially on TikTok, it's becoming that much easier for anybody to grow their audience or have these viral hits. So when you guys are measuring your success, I want to know like what that looks like to you, what's more um, valuable to you. So is it things like you know, your followers, like liked, likes, engagement rates, etc.? Or is it, I know we talked last time about people leaving comments on videos, which is, you know, for anyone, a great case of engagement. But especially in the case of Ocean X, it means people are actively wanting to know more and you're sort of succeeding in educating them and sparking that curiosity, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a big part of what we do is, you know, organizations love follower counts. But as a social media person, I think what I really look for is that engagement factor. Um, that's a really important metric that our team measures uh, because not only does it give us feedback from our audiences, but it also helps us develop content. So, you know, Squid Timber is a great example of that for us, you know, listening to our audience and seeing where they're more curious, where there's more comments and how we can develop campaigns from those those responses and where people want to learn more. And we're, we're very engaged with our audience. We spend a lot of time in our comments, not only answering questions, but just interacting with them and, and having them feel like there's a place that they can ask questions and be curious and not just kind of leave it in the, you know, ether that is social media sometimes, right? 
So the follower count is important because more eyes give us more curiosity. Uh, but I think what we really try to do is sort of lead people in to a viewer and then a curious, you know, uh, follower or, or really into this curiosity and this engagement part, and then leading them even further into being advocates for what we do. And so ultimately for me as a director of social media, I think having people as our advocates sharing our stuff uh, with people that they know and and sort of being you know, this funnel for us and our information out to the world and increasing that reach even more is really incredibly important to us. Um, but we really like to nurture and talk with our audience. And I think the engagement rate and metrics uh, are really important to keep an eye on and, and and focus on that engagement and and take it into your social media strategy. Yeah. I mean, talking about strategy, when you say turning people in the comments into advocates, is that a set strategy or you mean you just want you know the more people hear from us and the more people engage the more people might spread word of mouth or is it more of like a set advocate program where you've got a bank of people who you would like to speak on behalf of ocean x um it, it's more casual than that one one thing we really try to do and what our goal is is making information sticky. I always talk about stickiness of information, right? If, if somebody can watch a video or see a social post, if they can walk away with one thing that they tell a friend about at a party or, you know, communicate to a coworker or that it, for us is is being an advocate, right? Like they learned one thing and they're teaching three people. So that is just this growing network of people learning more and more about the ocean. And I think that's a really important part of what we do, you know, but we talk a lot about like how do you protect and how do you how do you protect something that you don't understand, right? Um, and that's ultimately what our goal is: is to to build awareness and knowledge around the ocean, so that ultimately uh, we can take better care of it. I guess the reason I I ask is because I'm curious about how, say, for like commercial brands using TikTok for the same ends or any social platforms, they would partner with these brand ambassadors, advocates, or traditional influencers, and it's very much a here's our product, try our product. Do you like it? If you like it, tell your audience that you like it. How does, I mean, is it something on your radar, this concept of influencers and knowing that partnering with creators or having that sort of normal people voice, uh, you know, in your corner can be a really powerful thing, but the model for an organization like OceanX has to be different, right? So like, how do you guys approach influencer marketing is it you know speaking to experts like scientists etc and if that's the case does it have the same impact because these people while really knowledgeable are also unknowns yeah so for us i mean obviously in social media we understand the importance of influencers in the space and there are these niche influencers that we kind of look to whether it's in the diving community or there's a really prolific science communications community that we look to as well um, but again, like harking back to one of the most important things that we do is is communicate fact and science. So it's really important that we sort of give science a voice and lift some of these scientists up, uh, up to a level where people are seeing them and hearing the science from them. Um, and another big part of what we want to do in social media specifically is show people want to see themselves, right? People always want to see themselves reflected in what they do. So we work with a lot of organizations like BIMS, which is Black and Marine Science. And it's a great way to show people that you can exist in this space. I think science can often be very elitist. And that's something that we're really trying to break in what we do and, and let people see themselves in the work and 
uplift those scientists that people can see themselves in or see their child in. And I think that's really important in, in what we do and not just leveraging traditional social media influencers, but really sort of leveraging this new generation of scientists that are also science communicators. Yeah, that's such an important point because I know like your main objective or one of your main objectives is to get people to care about the ocean and ocean conservation. But then, yeah, as you said, I'm sure part of that as well is how do we get more young people interested, not just in science and the ocean, but in a career? Like, How do we get them to care enough to actually, you know, join OceanX or a similar organization one day? So yeah, that's a really good point. I'm sure seeing people like them, um, you know, like when they're, when they're younger in those positions really helps a lot. Speaking of uh, influencers, segue here. We said we couldn't get you on without mentioning David Attenborough. <laughs> I know you guys worked <laughs> with on Blue Planet 2, was it? I want to know like what an experience like that is like. And I know, um, you know, for us, a normal shoot day is um, like getting some product in the studio and, you know, looking at it from a million different angles. But it's a whole exploration and adventure on, on that side of things. So walk us through what that looks like and then how that translates into the social content that ends up on your channels. You know, I like to say every day that I go to work that I get to live my best nerd life in my job. And I was very fortunate to be able to go out on the ship for five weeks when we were um, doing a lot of science in the Red Sea. And so the operations staff knows exactly what they're doing and they're on a schedule and it's so impressive to watch. And so when media goes on board, when socials on board, we kind of follow along with what their schedule looks like and whether that's going down in the submarine for the day. You know, we're usually down in the sub for about eight hours filming. Um, so there's preparing for that and sort of uh, letting the submarine drivers take us where they think we're going to get the best shots. They're amazing. But that's an adventure in, this, in itself. I remember going down for the first time and filming this jellyfish and like sobbing into the eyepiece of the, the camera because it was so beautiful. And you're looking at this thing that no human has ever seen before this, you know, part of the ocean and these creatures. And, you know, it, it, it's a really magical experience. And I hope that through my work, I can convey that same feeling. And I, I wish everyone had the opportunity to do that. And that's kind of what our, you know, our goal is as an organization is whether you're there or not, like experience this with us. And it was such a powerful experience for me. And then, you know, you're on top side running around filming stuff and doing interviews and social media. And, you know, it, it's uh, definitely different trying to do media on a ship. There's just tight quarters. You know, you're you're filming from weird angles, but that's sort of the fun of it. It's, it's all an adventure for us. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have worked on some really amazing projects. But I do think, you know, these sort of everyday mission pieces are really important so that people can sort of follow along and feel part of what we do. Um, so that's that's the part we really enjoy in that. Absolutely. That excitement, as you said, is so contagious when you're watching it on social. You do feel like you're along for the ride. And have you seen um, the train spotting guys, Francis Bourgeois? And he his whole thing like started just watching trains, but he films himself with the GoPro on his head. So you get that hilarious angle of his face. You guys should try that on some of your uh, your divers and see. I'd love yeah, to see one of those angles and that excitement. <laughs> like, the like you reacting to the jellyfish wearing one of those. We do um, this really cool, we've done a couple of reaction videos if you go on our YouTube of people going down in the sub for the first time because it's such a magical experience. And so we just mount a GoPro to sort of the the sub bubble and, and just get their experience. And it's, you know, a lot of these people are scientists and they're still just so excited and, it, you know, like, oh, there's this and oh, there's that. And 
it's it's so it is contagious to see these grown adults who have been studying you know sharks for their whole life see this shark that they've been studying for two decades you know in front of them it's it's just a different everyone's kind of reverts back to this like childhood wonder and curiosity and it's it's absolutely contagious and it's so wonderful to watch and it's such a really great part of I think what we get to do we're very very fortunate yeah that childlike wonder I think is so important as well when the the job to be done is getting other people excited about it as well and I guess you know harking back to that point on influencers I don't think it then matters if these people that you're seeing on the screen are talent influencers or unknowns because the main thing at the end of the day is making sure that that excitement and that wonder, is, as you said, is genuine and, and that's coming across. So, yeah, super important. But I guess, you know, speaking about things like your Red Sea dive and uh, every everyday missions, do you have, from a social strategy perspective, a content calendar or like key calendar moments that you have to hit and how do you sort of plan for that when you know these missions might throw up unexpected discoveries and I can imagine you'd have to adapt quite quickly to what's going on. That's one thing with our team is uh, you know we really have to be agile in what we do. We often have to account for weather and seasickness and you know if we're doing a social media live and someone gets seasick, we have to have a backup plan for that. And, you know, we yeah. while we do have a content calendar and, you know, we have these verticals um, within different topic areas that we're trying to hit. So, you know, mission updates weekly is one thing that we're always going to hit on a mission so that we can sort of convey the science that's happening that week. Uh, but we do have to remain pretty agile while we're on mission. But we do have evergreen content that's produced in the office that will help fill in those gaps when there are gaps. Um, so we have a pretty great, robust strategy that will account for some of either mission downtime or or anything that comes our way that we sort of have to um, to to figure out on the fly and internet connection in the middle of the ocean can be very difficult as well so we uh we often have to work around that too yeah i can imagine it's bad enough in the studio sometimes <laughs> i mean i'm curious to know now is that is that happened before where someone got seasick on a live stream and you had to pivot how did you deal with that Fortunately, not on a live stream, but right before. So we had to throw in a new host uh, last minute. But um, the team is really amazing. And we're all, uh, you know, very adept in, in the different media that we do, whether it's lives or, um, you know, full production. So uh, we're all ready to jump in when needed. And we're all learning our sea legs out there, though. And you said you've got content pillars that you do in office and there's that sort of evergreen stuff, as well as the footage you get from um, these missions i want to know how i guess then both of them but maybe the the in-office stuff as well how that aligns with ocean x's wider editorial output because it's not just social that you guys exist on so how does the social output integrate with the wider sort of editorial mix and and you know which one feeds into the other and, and what's the sort of order of process there yeah, so it's a little bit of both. We have a, a much larger media team and some, uh, we have a wonderful production team who really creates these longer format or like uh, short film type of videos. Our major distribution platform is social media though. So a lot of this is created with social media in mind and our audiences in mind. Um, but what we do from some of those productions, depending on what they are, is we'll break them down into smaller social pieces, something that makes sense for each platform. You know, you're not going to put something necessarily on YouTube and Facebook that's going to be exactly the same. So uh, we really try to break them down into 
something that fits the platform and that audience best because our audiences across our platforms can be very different in what they're looking for. So it'll typically start with a longer production, but then we also have our social production, which is independent of that larger media production team. Um, so that will be the majority of our TikTok content, which is solely produced for the, through the social media team for TikTok, uh, which also will feed into our YouTube shorts. So we kind of have... Uh, multiple arms working at the same time that feed primarily into our social channels. That's quite refreshing to hear, actually, especially when, you know, you said you've got bigger media teams, but they're designing content with social in mind from the get-go, which, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, is so uh, crucial to it performing well on social. Can you share a few of the considerations, perhaps, then, that that, that includes? So when uh, when you are designing with social in mind, what kind of things are you making sure that content hits when you're going out and, you know, storyboarding it and actually shooting it? Yeah, so shooting is a big one, you know, ensuring that we can both do, you know, a, a horizontal base or 16 by 9, but then also going 9 by 16, right? So often we'll have to crop footage down. So we need to keep that in mind as we're filming because we can't go back and fix that. So our production team is really great at thinking about those things as we're filming. Um, often the social media team, we have similar production equipment, but we also film on our phones. So just thinking about a social first production is kind of how we've, we've started to incorporate that over time. And it's social first because that's our major distribution. And then also thinking about lengths of, you know, as we're storyboarding and writing these stories, like where is this going to sit on social media channels? What is the length that we need to hit? How can we crop this story down to fit both the TikTok audience and the YouTube audience? Um, so really thinking through those stories pretty in-depth beforehand. Um, we often will do multiple pre-interviews with scientists so that we really understand what it is that they're working on. And then that will uh, get fed down to the social media team so we can see what that story is and how we can break that out into multiple pieces of content. So there's a lot of pre-production that goes into these things for the larger story pieces. And then we also have sort of our quick content. So we follow a lot of ocean news that we think is really important. Um, and sometimes it could be fun. We have like a nice fun silly voice on our channel sometimes, particularly TikTok, uh, which we find that the audiences really like. And so we'll follow ocean news and whether it's, you know, a study on they found out octopuses uh, punch each other, you know, and they're not great neighbors, right? So we'll build a TikTok out on that. So these silly things, but there's actually some science behind it, right? And so that's, again, that like curiosity and that sort of invitation into finding more and um, so we definitely have a few different content streams in how we do the pre-production on those. And the larger productions take a lot more time. Yeah, I can imagine. I want to go and find a video now about octopuses punching each other because I want to watch that. But I can imagine, yeah, having to crop the ocean into 9 by 16 is just such a 2023 problem, isn't it? Because I remember when when the sort of, you know, standard ratio, or like best practice for social change, it wasn't even that long ago. And there was a lot of gripe, you know, how are we going to show the wider picture when there's so much to see in just a nine by 16 box. But I can imagine, you know, after even watching some of the detail with the level of cameras that are available to you on shows like Blue Planet 2 and being able to go super, super close into things like, you know, corals and marine life that we would never get to see up close in real life. There's some magic to that as well, right? So I'll win some, lose some. I want to talk about squid timber, moving from octopuses to squid timber, um, <laughs> because that I, I thought was a really endearing sort of series slash format from you guys that came from, you said your audience's like surprisingly big interest in squids. 
Um, and I know when we spoke about things like, you know, competitive key moments like Shark Week, et cetera, but can you tell us a bit more about how you've sort of branched out to create your, your more ownable pillars and moments like Squid Temper and, you know, as well as mass audience interest where you get the inspo for those things from? I mean, we've definitely been inspired by things like Shark Week. It's, you know, I, I know people that have Shark Week parties and watch all of the episodes that come out that that time. And I think, you know, that definitely really helped inspire Squid Timber. But we, you know, again, we really listen to our audiences and we take their feedback into our system and our strategy. And we posted a couple squid videos and they got tremendous amount of interest and people were very curious. Tell us more about squids. Why did they do this? You know, and squids are such interesting alien-like creatures, right? So we just noticed a lot of what we do in social media, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is we notice patterns, right? That That's a big part of what we do. And so we noticed this pattern, particularly with squid content, of a higher level of engagement, um, a lot of curiosity. And so we decided to last year roll out Squid Timber. We had a wonderful partner, Dr. Sarah McNulty, who is a squid scientist, who uh, did a bunch of the programming with us as well um, and was our squid expert for that month. And, you know, we just found it fun and the audience really loved it. And, you know, it really gave us this this ownable piece of the internet for a month. And we kind of saw it catch on larger than we expected it to for being the first time. And so it's something that we plan on continuing and hopefully bringing on, you know, more uh, science communicators or science influencers um, and also other partners just to continue that conversation. I think it's a really great moment for marine science, sort of more in the edutainment space than like the entertainment space. And squids are really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose then, you know, you talk about these ownable moments, which are so crucial to you know living in a competitive space, but also balancing that sort of share of voice. So I want to know how you are able to you know, ensure that you have a high share of voice when, you know, across all channels, but especially TikTok, you're not just competing with documentary providers like Nat Geo and BBC, etc., but also with independent creators who are just enthusiasts working on their own um, and they get a lot of traction as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, something we hear a lot in social media is like finding your niche, right? And finding that sort of area where you can break through sort of the noise of the overall social media. And that's what moments like Squid Timber and what we're doing, you know, we there's a lot of other organizations online uh, that we often work with and we don't like to see them as competition, but we like to see them as collaborators and partners. Um, they're actually part of a really cool network that we're part of called the Pink Flamingo Society, which is a lot of the Ocean Philanthropic Foundations um, and just making sure that they're coordinating their activities, right? Interesting that it's named after a land animal. Well, so it's funny that the story behind that is while they were out researching specific areas of the ocean, they used to plant uh, pink flamingos so that they know that they had been there and researched that area. So that is why it's called the Pink Flamingo Society. Yeah, it's super important. I think it's nice of you to see you working together. And, and that's a big part of what we do, particularly in the ocean space, right? We talk about one ocean and, and how critical it is, you know, for us as humans. And so why not work together? It's, you know, it's all for the greater good. That's what we do. Um, and I think that's where we really shift and differ from sort of the traditional marketing space, right? Like what what we're doing is for the benefit of humanity, not necessarily to sell a product. And so you have to team up for that, right? You have to work together to do that. It's this much bigger 
thing that we're trying, these bigger problems we're trying to solve and bigger concepts and ideas that we're trying to relate to our audiences. And so uh, it's important that we work together. And are these experts, or like this network of experts and partners, something that your social team has access to when they're looking to create content? Absolutely. Yeah, we we often have calls with them. Um, we work with organizations like Hui. Often uh, we'll access their scientists for some of our media and content. We do a lot of uh, content sharing as well. And everyone sort of has their specialty area or different areas that they focus in. Um, so we often work together on projects, whether it's World Ocean Day or Squid Timber. Um, we'll often look to them to work with us. And I suppose one one sort of last thing, and it's a big one, uh, so we might have to split it into a few bits, but I want to know like what you've found in the last few years, or like as your audience has grown a bit more, on what's been more most effective in getting people to care, in your case, about ocean conservation, right, and about the world around us, the world that we all live in. But getting people to care full stop, I think, would be quite, you know, actionable advice for, for anyone listening, because it's no easy feat. You know, have you found it's just down to, like, consistency, like the content itself? Or are there any standouts for you there? I mean, consistency is definitely helpful, but I think a big part of that is just relatability. You know, what some of the science we do is really difficult and complex. And if we can turn it into something relatable, if we can turn it into something that people can understand, you know, people are just trying to live day to day, month to month, or living their lives. So how can we make it as relatable as possible? Because when you understand something and you relate to something, it leads to caring and it leads to potentially action down the road, right? So it's our job to be these translators of the science so that people can understand what's happening and and why it's so important, why the ocean is so important. It's a global ocean. Just because something's happening in one place, you know, doesn't mean it's not going to affect somewhere else in the world. And so I think really just sort of helping people bridge the gap and connect the dots between their understanding of the ocean ultimately is what's going to make people care. You know, one of the hardest concepts in science communications, I think for anyone to understand, is scale, right? Whether it's scale of size or scale of time. A lot of what we talk about is, you know, centuries and decades. And while I was working at NASA, you know, we talked a lot about gigatons. But do you, can you fathom what a, a gigaton is in a normal metric? No. <laughs> and so one gigaton is 400,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Pretty big then, yeah. And so making those scales more relatable and understandable. And then also just like showcasing the personality of the organization, I think is really critical too. People want authenticity. People want to know what you're about. And that's what we put out there. And hopefully, you know, for us, what our goal is, is to make science as relatable as possible, make the ocean a beautiful place, make it relatable, make people curious and make people care. Do you think then that viral moments and viral videos can create real change? I mean, have you seen evidence of action that's been spurred on by, you know, a movement that was started by a video or a comment or a conversation that's, you know, turned into something tangible? I mean, I think we've seen viral videos uh, absolutely do that. I think the Ice Bucket Challenge, you know, as much as I'm sure many people are you know, kind of sick of hearing about that, but like it was a huge moment in social media where it went viral and made real change and people donated to a cause and they are able to do more science because of that. So I think we see those moments. And on our channels in particular, uh, you know, we see these moments. One of our most popular videos is a video called Whale Fall. And it's, a, you know, 
a decomposing whale at the bottom of the ocean, but we get to talk about ecosystems and it just spurred that curiosity. And so we saw a really big uptick in people, not only in engagement, but in follower increase and people sharing that. I absolutely think that those viral moments are, are critical and they get shared so much. That's the advocacy part, right? It's sharing your curiosity with others. Oh, definitely. Wow. As good a place as any to end this conversation. And I will say for anyone listening, if this did spark your curiosity to go and check out OceanX's social channels, especially their TikTok, um, because you guys are making some of the best content in that space in the game. And I can't wait to see more of it. But thank you, Shannon, so much for talking to us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much and excited to have your audience come explore with us. So I just had another scroll through OceanX's TikTok page and there's such a mix of content on there. There's everything from like really informative videos about why hammerhead sharks look like that to then John Cena's entry song over the top of a rowdy starfish. There's a coral dance off and then there's a cameo from James Cameron on the importance of conservation for climate week. Now, I know that the world literally is their oyster when it comes to having things to film and talk about. They've got a lot to, to draw from. But I do think that no matter what type of company or brand you work for, you can learn a lot from how OceanX tackles its social video strategy and how it isn't afraid of humor, like even though theirs is a really scientific subject. I think it goes to show that anyone can make incredible content and also that organizations like this and creators are actually who you're competing with. So if you're creating a really straightforward format or a product focused video and you're pretty happy with it, Compare it to one of OceanX's videos before you post it and see what you're really up against. They've absolutely nailed creating content that resonates with a mass audience and makes people care about something they know absolutely nothing about. But again, that's all for this week. Thank you again for listening and make sure you come back next week for your social and six update to stay up to date on the latest platform news and updates.